you would take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. The blessings of love. How many of you sinned against somebody this past week? And how many of you, after you sinned against that person, and you went to that person, and you confessed your sin, and you said, you know, I sinned against you, I shouldn't have done that, that was, that was really wrong of me, would you forgive me? And they said, yes, and you're like, oh, that's, that's great, we're completely okay, it's like this never happened. Um, no, that's not how that goes, right? A lot of times after we sin against somebody, yesterday I sinned against Bethany, and I had to go to her and I had to tell her, I'm sorry, I was wrong, I shouldn't have done that. But as I'm sitting there on the couch next to my wife and I'm contemplating all this, how do I feel? How do you feel after a similar situation? A lot of times we feel like we should do something to like re-earn their grace, right? Re-earn their favor and make sure that we're like this again because you know maybe if I if I bought her flowers and we'd be okay I'm being facetious in how to solve that problem that's not how you solve that problem but that's how we feel right we feel like if, if I did something nice for this person maybe we'd be okay and when it comes to our Christian life sometimes we sin and we have that same type of feeling but the relationship that's been hurt isn't just the relationship that's horizontal. It's the vertical relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and we sing about it and we talk about it. We, we tell each other that love, God's love is so great. And we, we look at Romans chapter 8 and we say that nothing can separate us from God's love. And yet our heart condemns us. We sing about it. That soul that on Jesus hath leaned for repose, I never, no, never, no, never will forsake. And yet we sit there and we think about our sin and we think about the fact that we have been separated from God and that this sin is a demonstration of, you know, just how vile of a person I am. How could, how could I be accepted by God? Right? These are the feelings that you and I have. And... What John is going to do in this passage is he's going to provide us an answer, a, a means of seeing hope in the midst of those feelings. And it really all goes back to what he started a couple of passages ago when he began this conversation that leads to you and I must love one another. And so one of the blessings of love as we work through this passage is that our hearts will be assured of our standing before God the Father. If you would take your Bibles and let's read 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 through verse 24. 1 John 3, verse 11 through verse 24. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. 
Do not marvel, my brother, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from, the, from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Now, he who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the spirit whom he has given us. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you for the fact that you have loved us and you have loved us. And as a result of your love, you sent your son, Jesus Christ, into the world to come to live a perfect, sinless life, to go to the cross, to die for our sins as a marked demonstration of your great love for us. And through that, we are able to come into relationship with you, to be restored to you. We pray that our lives would demonstrate a similar love to one another. And that as we do so, that we would see the blessings of loving one another evident in our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. The passage begins in verse 11. And what he says is there are two, or we are blessed when we choose to love one another. That's the big idea of the passage. We are blessed when we choose to love one another. The passage begins, though, by telling us that there are two paths available to us. And John's way of writing is not as, um, as marked differently and as, you know, outlined as maybe we tend to think. In America, we think very outline-like. That's how we're always taught. We, we learn via, this is point number one, here's point A, point, point B, point C, and then under point C there are three points, point one, point two, point three. That's how we learn. But John doesn't use that type of outline to write his book. What John does, he goes, love. And then a little bit later, he'll bring in some other detail. And then a little bit later, he'll bring in another detail. And then he'll go back to love, and it'll be like, love. And, and so it's circular, and as he develops these arguments, he's inter, 
interweaving all of these various concepts. So it's building on one another. And so while we looked at verses 9 and 10, I think 9 and 10 actually do connect with verses 11 through 24. How so? I think it really is demonstrating the fact that there are two drastically different paths. paths. Look at verse 9 and 10. At the end of verse, the verses we looked at last week, he said, Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. What's he saying? He's saying in that passage that there are two drastically different options for where your paternity lies. You're either of your father, the devil, or you're of a father who is God. And, and that same idea is going to flush through and really develop this idea that there are two different paths. And you're either on the one path or you're on the other path. You're on one path. You can't be on the fence that divides the two. You're on this path or you're on that path. There's two fathers, there's two paths, and there's two drastically different end goals for these paths. And so in verse 11, he begins to develop what those two paths look like. And so he says in verse 11, For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we, believers, those who profess to be of the Father who is God, we love one another. Our responsibility as children is to love one another. This is our responsibility. This is the commandment that Jesus gave his disciples in the end chapters of John. John chapter 15, just packed full of, this is who you are. I'm the vine, you're the branches. And all of this moves in as he's giving his last conversation with the disciples. And it's all boiling down to, you guys have to love one another. You have to care deeply for one another. It should be evident. It should be your practice. It should be what consumes you. And so he's laying out this path and he's saying this is drastically different from the other path that you could choose. And he's going to make that clear. He's told us that this is our mission in verse 11. And in verse 12 he says this is the other option. You can either choose to pursue love as God the Father shows, or you can follow the other path that falls under the paternity of the devil. And he says, we're not supposed to act as Cain, who was of the wicked one. Who is the wicked one? It's the devil. There's two fathers. There's two paths. And, and what did Cain do? He was of the wicked one, and he murdered his brother. Why? Because he was jealous that his brother was righteous, and he was not. Because his works were evil, and his brothers were righteous. And so he's laying out this idea that there are only two fathers, and only two responses. You either love or if you choose not to love, the only other response is hate. You're doing one or the other. 
They're not in between. He moves on, and as he does so, he says that the two responses produce different results as well. Look at verse 13. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. He takes this little step aside, and he's going to develop some other concepts. He says, the world will hate you. Why does the world hate you? It's the same reason that Cain hated his brother. Because his brother Abel was righteous. He was honorable. He did what was right. And because Cain looked on and he knew that he was not righteous, and he didn't want to take the hard work to live a righteous life, he decided the easy way out was to slaughter his brother. It's really quite absurd, actually. But that's what he does. And, and John is telling us, do not be amazed when the world doesn't love you. Because the world is going to look and they're going to see that you are on this path of righteousness and obedience to God's word and is drastically different from the path that they're on, which belongs to their father, the devil. And they're going to see that and they're going to be like, I hate this guy. Because that path makes my path look really bad. And so don't be amazed when, when those from the other path look at you and they're like, that's really, I don't like that. That's reprehensible to me. And it shouldn't be. Verse continues, because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. You see, the, the paths lead to different results. He says, if you're not on the path that leads to loving your brother, the other path that you're on leads to death. I don't think he's simply talking about physical death. I think he's talking about spiritual death. Because it goes back to who the father is, which attaches to the path that you're on, which then attaches to the destination that you will arrive at. Drastically different fathers, drastically different paths, drastically different end results is what we're talking about here. He continues on. In verse 15, or verse, um, 15, whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding him. By this we know love, because, or sorry, this is the, the next point. There's two drastically different paths, and they're both available. And what he's urging us to do in verses 4 through 10 is to follow the commands of God. And if you remember last week, I told you that I really believe that what he means by the commands of God is primarily going to get at loving your brothers and sisters in Christ. And I think that point is really made very clear as he works his way through these following verses. And so he's going to take time and he's going to pull back and he's going to say, what is love then? If I'm telling you to love your brothers, I'm telling you, follow this path, don't follow that path. What does it mean for you to love? And so he begins and he says, this is love. And as he defines what love is, he says, look at love. Love is pictured in verse 16. 
Love is, is defined in Christ's gift on the cross. Jesus Christ looked at the world. The Father looked at the world, and the, the Father told his son, Look, these people are hopeless. There is no means by which they could be restored and leave this path and go to that path. And so I promise that you will come. And as they look to you in faith, they can be transferred from this path to that path. But when you come, it's, it's to demonstrate sacrificial love in a way that few could even have imagined. You're going to come, you're going to live a perfect, sinless life. You're going to do good all over Israel. And at the end of that, they're going to accuse you of something that is true. You are the king. But they're going to say that you lied about that. And they're going to take you to the cross and they're going to kill you. You will be sacrificed for their sins. And he says, this is love. And we look at that and that's like, well, that's, that's a pretty high calling. But okay, I'll, I'll take you up on that, right? Because uh, the chance of you being asked to physically die for another person in this room, very low, right? I mean, it's not a I mean, verbal assent to, yeah, I would die for you, is really easy. Because the chance of you being asked to die for another person in this room is really low. So what John does is he says, okay, let's take this concept of sacrificial giving your all love. And he says, let's make it really practical in verse 17. Because the chance of you being asked to do what Christ has done in picturing and defining for us what love is, it's like zero. So what does love look like in your real life? So in verse 17, he tells us what love looks like for our everyday life. What does it look like for you and I to love one another? Verse 17. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? The idea isn't he has the world's goods, like he has every good that could possibly be in the world. That's, that's not what John is saying. The idea instead is he who has what he needs for daily sustenance and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart, how does the love of God abide in him? It's not saying then that we give out of our excess or what we have in abundance. He's saying as we have what we need on a daily basis, we are to demonstrate love from there to those who are around us. And so then you have to say, what do I need on a daily basis? What we need on a daily basis versus what we put in our budget are two drastically different things, right? Because, like, you could survive off of beans and rice. I'm not suggesting that you have to do that. But, like, that budget compared to, like, eating out are two drastically different things. 
And then you start throwing in all the recreation type things and choices that we make based on, you know, I'm going to buy this TV instead of that TV and, and on and on and on we go. What he's saying is, once your basic necessities are fulfilled, we fulfill, we love one another out of what is an excess of our basic necessities. John makes it extremely practical because the picture of Jesus dying for us is a beautiful picture of what love is but it's really hard for us to make that applicable because the chance of you and I being called on to die for another person that goes to Emmanuel Baptist Church is like zero but the chance of us seeing somebody who has a need and being able to fill it is very high. And so John makes it extremely practical. He says, this is love. And so what he does is he gives us a more practical definition of love. Because the definition of Jesus Christ dying on the cross is true. But it's really hard for us to think, what does that look like in my everyday life? What does it look like for me to love in that way? And so he gives us a very practical definition as he works through this idea. Our love then should be demonstrable through our deeds and our doctrine. Look at verse 18. My little children... Let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. He says it's really easy for you and I to look at one another, to talk with one another. And as we do so, we tell one another, yes, I love you. I have deep care for you. But it's a whole lot easier to do it. Or it's a whole lot easier to say it than to actually go through and do it. And he says what you and I must do as people who are children of our Heavenly Father. That's what he talks about in chapter 3. People who are on the path of love and who have a markedly different destination, eternal life. We need to be actually following through with deeds, with actions that are based in truth. And as we think about the whole concept of truth, what is, what is he talking about? Is he, is he saying that we need to follow through with deeds that are actually true? Or is he telling us something else? I think instead of saying that we're following through with deeds that are actually true, he's saying we're following through with deeds that are based in, that are founding their foundation, their groundwork in what we profess to be true. What do you and I believe? And I think primarily what he's saying is, what do we believe about Jesus Christ? And so our, our, our acts of love should be in characteristic with, or should be characterized by, the same type of love that Jesus Christ demonstrated on the cross of Calvary. <clears throat> and he's saying that is how you and I must live. 
It's not simply with our words, but it must be followed through with our deeds and with a doctrinal basis that shapes and forms how you and I live on a day-to-day basis with one another. Our lives then, as we follow the commands of John in 1 John chapter 3, are going to be drastically different than what our hearts want. Because you and me, our, our natural inclination is not to say, well, I have today's meals, this month's rent is paid, I have enough money for my gas, and I've paid my basic insurance, so I'm going to give this person 50 bucks, or I am going to spend this extra time with this person serving them and caring for them because I know that they have a genuine need and I have time that I can use to fulfill that need. But what John is saying is that as people who have a drastically different father, people who have a drastically different path, and people who have a drastically different end goal, our lives are going to be transformed and it's not going to because of, be because of outward influences. It's going to be because we are changed from the inside out. We are different people because, verse 9 tells us what? Whose seed is in us? God's seed is in us. We've been born of God. We have been transformed. We have been made different. We have been made like God. Our love should be demonstrably different from those around us. Up to this point, John's call is admittedly a heavy and hard one, right? Anybody think that this is like a breeze? Sign me up. I like what I'm hearing. All right, that's not me either. Like, my natural inclination is. I want to be selfish with my time. I want to be selfish with what I have, right? And I imagine that most of us, to some degree, struggle with that as well. And, and we think about, back to that illustration that I started with, about you sinning against other people, and you ask them for forgiveness, and you feel like you need to do something to earn their graces once again. And John seems to understand his reader's thoughts. And as he writes to them, he goes, I, I know what you're going to be asking next. Because I read this, and I read the high claim of loving one another as you've defined it. It's defined by what Christ did on the cross. But application means that I'm supposed to be willing to give of my entire self to somebody else if my basic necessities for the day have been fulfilled. That's really hard and I don't measure up. Because there have been times where I haven't this week pursued spending time with people as I should and pursuing relationship with them. There have been times this week where I haven't loved somebody as I should. And you, you look at that and like 
but that's that's the path that I'm supposed to be on. And, and I see areas in my life where my life doesn't measure up to the path that has been described. Am I truly a child of God? My, my heart, my heart condemns me. Because I, I could have done better in this area or that area, but I chose to do something else with my time. I chose to do something else with my finances. And I think that's what John is going to address as the first benefit of love. Look with me at verse 19. And by this, we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. Why does he say we need to assure our hearts? Because the last couple of verses have been like impossible for any one of us to fully fulfill. And if you read them literally, which you should, and you look at them and you go, man, I'm supposed to love like that? I'm supposed to love everybody here like that? Like, that's impossible. I've blown it. And I'll blow it again next week. Right? But, he doesn't say, you know, you might know, or by this maybe you'll possibly grow to know. What does he say? He's saying that you can be assured of something, that you can be firm in your understanding and your confidence of something. He says in verse 19, and by this we know that we are of the truth, that you are firmly planted in the doctrine of Jesus Christ. And shall assure our hearts before him. But you say, you've described the path, I don't measure up to the path. And he says, but by what I'm going to tell you, you can have hearts that are assured. And so what is he going to tell us? Does our hearts look at the requirements and they're too high for us to measure up to? Look at verse 20. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our hearts and knows all things. The demands of the text feel overwhelming, yes. And when we are overwhelmed, God knows us better than our hearts do. What he's saying is, yeah, you get overwhelmed by the situation, you get overwhelmed by the requirements of the text, and you can look at the text and you go, I don't measure up. What he's saying is, God knows your motives, he knows your ambitions, and he knows them better than your own heart does. And, ultimately, who's the judge? God is. Not your heart. And so it's not, it's not a concern about whether or not your heart assures you it's about who God is and what the standard of judgment is. And the standard is not you, right? For which we should say praise God because if my standard was the standard, it'd just be like my relationship with Bethany. I'd be striving, I'd be looking for all sorts of things that I could do to once again re-earn Bethany's love. And we'd have to do the same thing with Jesus Christ. And there's nothing you and I can do. That's why God sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the earth to die for your sins so that he could pay the penalty because you could not. And so in verse 20 he says, 
God is greater than our hearts. God's understanding of you, God's understanding of your relationship with him, God's requirements are met through Jesus Christ. In verse 21, he goes on and he says, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. I think what he's saying is, our hearts are not what condemn us. And because our hearts are not what condemn us, and it is God who condemns us, we can have confidence before God. Which really moves us into the second aspect. Number one, we can have assurance before God. But the assurance then, because our hearts are not the ultimate judge, we can approach the Lord boldly. And he moves on and he says, because we can approach the Lord boldly, verse 22, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. He looks at us. He knows that our ambition, our drive, our motivation, our goals are to please God. And because of that, as we pray, our prayers are going to be in alignment with whose will? God's will. And does God answer prayers that are in alignment with God's will? Yes. And he says, so we can have assurance. We can also have the ability, because of our relationship with God and the path that we are on, we have assurance. We also have the ability to approach God and ask of him, and he will fulfill those requests. He finally moves on and he says, not only that, but the commands include faith and love. Verse 23, and this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. If you're here tonight and you're like, some of this seems really intriguing, but I don't understand how this all works together, how this all fits together to make any coherent whole. Uh, you're talking about sin. I realize I'm a sinner. I'm talking about Jesus Christ dying, but I'm not sure what that means for my eternity. I'd be happy to talk to you about how Christ has provided for you to move from the path of the father, the devil, to the path of the father, God. But he moves on. He's going to highlight the last benefit of love. Love assures our hearts. Love gives us boldness to approach God in prayer. And then finally, love also allows us to have the Holy Spirit who assures us that we are abiding in him. Now, he who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. It says, your assurance will come because the Holy Spirit assures you that you are abiding in Christ. As you abide in Christ, you will be producing fruit. Maybe not a lot of fruit, but you'll be producing fruit. I think one of the primary fruits 
as we look at John chapter 15 and following, and as we look at this text, is that there will be a demonstrable demonstration of your fervent love for other brothers and sisters in Christ. And as you and I pursue that, for abiding in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and assures our hearts, yes, you are indeed abiding in Christ. You are in relationship with God the Father. You are safe. You are secure in the Father's hand. What does the text then call on you and I to do this coming week? Our actions must match our Father's. Remember, the concept is traced back to chapter 9. You have been born of God. His seed has been placed in you. Therefore, your path is different from the father, the devil's path. And your destination, your end goal is drastically different. And because of that, our actions must match our fathers. It's interesting. He defines for us in the context what our father's love looks like. And so if you go to chapter 3, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Our actions must match our Father's. The Father loved us so much that he sent his Son, Jesus Christ, into the world to die for your sins. In an application, that means that we should be giving of our time, and our abilities and our finances to one another. We either love or we hate. There is not a third option. You're on the playing field. You are not a substitute in the game. You're not on the, the bench. You don't get that option. John doesn't give it to you. You are in the game. You are a starter. You're either on this team or you're on that team. You can't be on the bench and choose to come in once in a while on either team. You're on one team. We either love or we hate. That's the only option that John gives us. Which team have you been playing on? We don't give out of our abundance. Rather, we give out of what we have. Once your needs have been met, you have the world's goods, what you need for today, you give out of that. Blessings are found in loving one another. Our hearts are assured, we boldly approach God in prayer, and the Holy Spirit assures us that we are indeed abiding in Him. Father, we do thank you for your great love. We thank you that you have transferred us into your kingdom. That we have the ability to demonstrate your love to the world around us. We pray that as we go through this coming week that you would use us to demonstrate in a drastic way to the world around us through our conversations, through the use of our time, through the use of our finances, that we do indeed genuinely love and care for one another. That that love is found in is based on the fact that you first loved us. We thank you that you have blessed us with the ability to be assured of our position, even though none of us measure up to the perfect holy standard that you have set up. We pray that we would be able to 
continue to boldly approach you and that your Holy Spirit would assure us of our position in Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen.